Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. We, over this whole year, 2024, are going to be doing a sermon series on the Holy Spirit. The whole year. We've never done a sermon series for that long on anything before. And I want to speak to you about that um, Today, you may have questions about that, but I really want to just put before you why, hopefully in a compelling way um, and in ways that will whet your appetite and that will allay any fears. I don't know. We just want to kind of really take you guys with us on this. Um, it, in some ways, is a bit of an unusual move because if you know anything about the Trinity, then you will know really that in, in some ways, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is the most self-effacing of the persons in the Trinity. He, 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 he never draws attention to himself. He draws attention to Jesus. Um, the Son glorifies the Father. The Father glorifies the Son. Who glorifies the Holy Spirit? It's if you, the more you get into understanding biblical teaching on the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, you find this fascinating community, divine, eternal community, in relationship from eternity and for eternity. Um, but there were these very interesting kind of uh, dynamics within that relationship. And you don't go beyond what's revealed in terms of to speculation, but there's some wonderful things that are revealed. And um, I've got a couple of little quotes here from um, some, a good, great book uh, on the Trinity, <laughs> the name of which I've forgotten. But I've got the quote here. I can find it for you. We'll have a chance throughout this series. To go through it. But just a, a quote about um, the Holy Spirit that I think would be helpful for us as we consider this, this series. Let's scroll through the four million other things here. The old technical problems are kicking in now. I knew I shouldn't have used my phone for this. Here we go. We have least of all to say about the eternal divine person who is the Holy Spirit. Not because he's any less God or any less of a person or any less related to the other persons of the Trinity. He is all those things, just as fully as the Father and the Son are. But his self-revelation is less direct than the Son's and his relationship to the other persons is not as immediately evident as the Son's and Father's whose mutual relationship is built upon their very names, Father, Son, Son, Father, tells you something about their relationship. We should avoid the urge to fabricate more concrete things than have actually been revealed about the Spirit or to pretend that our knowledge of the Spirit's corner of the Trinitarian triangle is as intricately detailed and elaborated as the Son's, because it's not. And so we're not going to go beyond that, but we do want to focus on the Holy Spirit by way of helping us as a church to become familiar with his person, his ministry, his gifts, his fruit. And so we feel it's going to be a really exciting year. We're really excited about it. Um, in case when it comes to things like the Trinity, you're like, I don't get it. No one gets it. Okay? And that's where you, you get these certain kind of um, quasi-Christian religions that deny the Trinity because they don't get it, and then create something that they can manage. You can't manage God. Okay? 
So someone says, we're not going to have, we don't get the Trinity. It doesn't seem to make sense. So we, we won't believe in the Trinity. We'll just believe in, we'll just believe in you know, a kind of a, a God that is one person that's lived forever. Like you can understand that. You can't understand eternity. You can't understand inf- an infinite person. You can't understand someone who knows all things about all things at the same moment. You can't understand a God who is outside of time and space, which are created. You can't. So it's fine that you don't fully understand the Trinity. But I will say this to you. The Trinity is not a problem to solve. <laughs> it's, how we, it's how we enjoy our relationship with God. Here's a quote by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis just showing how, um, how our normal Christian life is just Trinitarian, without us even realising he says this, he says, an ordinary simple Christian, any ordinary simple Christians in the room? Okay. Kneels down to say their prayers. They're trying to get into touch with God. But if they're a Christian, they know that what's already prompting them to pray is also God. God, so to speak, inside them. But they also know that all their real knowledge of God comes through Christ, the man who was God, that Christ is standing beside them, helping them to pray, praying for them. You see what's happening? God is the thing to which they are praying, the goal they are trying to reach. God is also the thing inside them that's pushing them on, the motive power. God is also the road or bridge along which he is being pushed to that goal. So that the whole threefold life, of the three personal being is actually going on in that ordinary little bedroom where an ordinary person is saying their prayers. Okay, you, get, you, you become a Christian because of the Trinity. Because the Father sent the Son and the Son did all that he did, all that we've been singing about and celebrating this morning and then ascended to victory in heaven and poured out the Holy Spirit through which through, through whose ministry our eyes are open and we become saved. That whole thing straight away does not work without the Trinity. Okay, so I don't want us to think about the Trinity as a problem to solve, but as a relationship with God to enjoy. And we will be thinking about the person and work of that third and most self-effacing person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Listen to this, what Jesus said. Before he's about to go to the cross, and then he's given a talk to the disciples, basically preparing them, saying, I'm about to go. And that's why he says things to them like, don't let your hearts be troubled, don't fear because he's just told them I'm going to go. And they've just spent their whole last three years leaving everything to follow him. And he said, where I go, you can't come at the moment. What? And he says this in, chapter, in verse 7 of chapter 16. He says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Inferring that it is to their advantage that Jesus goes and the Spirit comes. Anyone ever read that verse in the Bible before? Anyone ever had trouble believing that verse in the Bible before? (laughs) Anyone ever found themselves as a believer in a position where you said or thought or prayed, Oh Jesus, if only you could be here right now, everything would be all right. Anyone ever done that? Not just me. Because there's something so tangible about the presence of Jesus in the flesh. We read about the Last Supper we heard about a moment ago. And, and John, someone prayed it. We're brought into your bosom. We hear about John reclining at the table, leaning on the, leaning on the breast of Jesus. Just the intimacy, the tangibility, the sense of it's here. 
And Jesus says, for your advantage that I go, because then the Spirit's going to come. You go, well, the coming of the Spirit must be pretty amazing then. If this is true, then the coming of the Spirit has to be a lot more than a warm feeling. A vague sense of something. If it's, if it's to our advantage that you go and the Spirit comes, then, then our expectations most probably need to rise as to what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? So I want us to provoke us with this today. I want to say to you, the Spirit is a person, not an impersonal force. Spirit is, is, is not an it. It's referred to in the Scripture as a he. Personal. Personal relationship, not an impersonal force. So why is it a good idea for us? What compelling arguments can I put before you this morning? In case you're not already up for it, I'm sure most of you are. But to compel you and to convince you of how important it is that we understand better the work of the Holy Spirit. The first thing to say is this, there is no awareness of God's presence without the Holy Spirit. In John 14, verse 23, Jesus says that I and the Father will come and make our home in you. What does he mean by that? We're going to get theological now. What does he mean by I and the Father? Because hold on a minute. The Father's enthroned in the third heaven. And who's at his right hand? Jesus. So when Jesus says I and the Father will come and make our home in you, how are they going to do that? By the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit mediates, brings to us the presence of the Father and the Son. The reason why you are aware of the reality of God and Jesus and, and, and you see, I know him. It's real. People think I'm crazy, but it's real. Who has done that? The Holy Spirit. For those of you here that are believers, you remember that moment or that kind of process where it suddenly started to make sense. Suddenly praying went from groping around, just speaking things, to connecting and knowing that you're being heard. And there's faith in it. And you say, what I'm praying for, I know I'm being heard. And I know because I'm being heard and I know God's going to do it. Who on earth? What on earth? What is going on there? That's either madness or that's the Holy Spirit. Making us aware of the reality of the presence of God and that interaction. That's his work. So we want to talk about and think about him. There is no experience of the love of God without the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 5, that God pours out his love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given to us. I mean, this is so precious. We know God loves us because of the cross. Yeah? We know that God loves us because Christ died for us. Hallelujah. And we stand on that no matter how we're feeling, right? But this is something else on top of that, Romans 5 verse 5. This is an experience of the love of God poured into the heart. Okay? This is, a, this is experience. This isn't just cerebral. Oh, I know it because it says it in the Bible. Thank God for that. I'm not disputing that. I'm not denying that. I'm not denouncing that. I'm not degrading that or anything else that begins with D. I'm not doing that. Okay? That's the foundation. Something happened historically in time and space where you go, I know God loves me no matter how I'm feeling. Praise God for that. 
So I'm not, I'm not doing anything to reduce that, but I'm saying as well as that, there is the love of God poured out in the heart by the Holy Spirit. You don't have to choose one or the other. Amen? You do not have to choose one or the other. This whole kind of approach to Christianity where you're either a Bible person or a Holy Spirit person. These caricatures. When I read the Bible, I see Holy Spirit people in there. I see the works of God. I see, I see things like clap your hands and expression, in, emotional engagement. Some Christians are kind of horrified of the thought of emotional engagement with God. The love of God is poured into our heart by the Holy Spirit. That sounds like emotional engagement to me. That's not like I am now experiencing the love of God being poured into my heart. That's not that. It's, oh, he loves me. And, and, yeah, and I know this isn't some just made up psychological moment. Why? Because there's a moment in time and history where God has shown he loves me. Two of confirming and witnessing and testing to one another. But that's the work of the Holy Spirit. We want to find out more about that. Thirdly, it's the Holy Spirit who assures us that we are children of God. That spirit of adoption who cries out, witnesses his spirit, witnesses with our spirit, you belong, you're in. You, he's got you. You're in the family. And when you're in the family, what does Jesus say? You know, the difference between a slave and a son, a son abides forever. You're in the family. Holy Spirit witnesses security, assurance. You're in. That's the work of the Spirit. That's deep, that's, that's deep intuitive level stuff. I've probably told many of you the story in my early years as a Christian where I remember when I had this theological debate with Jehovah's Witnesses and got totally totally spun, spun out and destroyed and everything. I was totally lost. And um, I went to run a bath because I was sad as a result. And um, sitting, in the, <laughs> sitting in the bathroom, you know. Like, and then I was just sitting there. I was like, that was awful. You know, I, you know, I can't be saved. You know? and, then, and then I was just sitting I was like, and then I just said, oh, Father. And I started talking. And suddenly I sort of stopped and stepped outside of myself. And look, you've just been completely obliterated on every front. And your response is, Father. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit. Assuring you. It's, it's, not, it's beyond all the stuff that happens. And you go, you know, do I ever have doubts? Yes. Plenty of them. But there's something that goes deeper than that. Once all the doubts have done what they do, underneath it, I'm going, Jesus is Lord. What can I do? <laughs> no one can say Jesus is Lord except but by the Holy Spirit. So I think we want to find out maybe a little bit more. About that. How do we overcome the power of sin? Someone read Hebrews 12 earlier. The sin which clings so closely. Anyone relate to that? Powerful. Sin is so powerful. Romans 8 talks about putting to death the deeds of the body. That's one of the ways the Bible talks about sin. But it says we do that by the Spirit. You can't overcome sin in your own power. No chance. Sin's way too powerful for you. Sin versus willpower, sin wins every time. Those ungodly urges, those desires that kind of, you know, they, they, they want to rule us and dominate us. Man, they come from somewhere beyond the terrestrial, beyond just the everyday. They are sourced in massive spiritual power. You're not beating that. By your own power. But there is one 
who will teach and empower you to do that. And that's the Holy Spirit. So suddenly it becomes very close to home. And we become very aware of those things where you go, I don't want to go there. I don't want to be that person. But there's, it's in me. Well, when the Holy Spirit's in you, there is one who is in you that is greater than he that is in the world. Amen. So we want to find out more about that. I'm sure you'll agree. Spiritual understanding. The Bible says that we can't understand anything in 1 Corinthians 2. We just don't get it except by the Holy Spirit. He's the one who reveals to us the things that have been given to us freely by God. He's the one who turns the lights on where you go, oh, I get it. It makes sense now. Oh, I'm putting it together now. Oh, right. That means that. And that's what God has done. And wow, look. Thank you, Jesus. That's the work of the Spirit. Sometimes you have conversations with people that do not have the Holy Spirit. And you tell them amazing biblical truths and they go, that's nice. It's a sure sign that someone hasn't heard what you said. And I say, that's nice. I'm happy for you. You think the penny hasn't dropped. You haven't got it. This isn't, this isn't nice for me. This is world transforming. This changes everything. They go, oh, that's nice. No. No, it's revolutionary. This is extraordinary. This changes, this changes the whole landscape. Oh, no. It's because when the, the Spirit drops it into your heart and you go, ah, right, I see. That means that. So therefore, oh, and that brings it all together. The Holy Spirit does that. You want to find out more about that. Anyone, anyone, would anyone in the room who loves Jesus be able... But anyone in the room who loves Jesus love to be able to speak more freely to other people about Jesus? Yes. Right? Because you just know. Don't you know? Because you know. Because you can't pretend anymore. It's just another little spiritual idea. I've got mine. You've got yours. You can't believe that once you know him because you've met the truth. Not a truth. You've met the truth. You've met, you've met God's only begotten son. Who was, so you just you want others to know, not because you're arrogant or proud, but because you love people and because you want people to discover what you've discovered, right? But I don't know about you, I struggle so hard to effectively share Jesus in my own power. Too cowardly or too this or too proud or too that. I just, I, and it's gone. The moment's gone. Jesus said this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And listen, I love it. He says, he says, and you will be my witnesses. It's not a command, it's a promise. You notice that, it's not a command. It's a promise. When the Spirit comes, oh, you'll be my witnesses. It's what happens. It's very reassuring. Oh, there's a boldness that he brings. Supernatural. And then final thing to wait your appetite. There's so many other things that I could have said. I just picked a few out is our journey to Christ-likeness. That, that extraordinary, supernatural journey to becoming more and more like Jesus, right? Which, that's the, Holy Spirit, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, there's so much that can go wrong in life, isn't there, to be honest? And we, as a result of that, we can become what we didn't want to become, right? We can become bitter. We can become disillusioned. We can become... Timid, fearful. We can all that we can become those things. There's a promise that, that what the work that Jesus has started in us, he will bring to completion. And how he does that is by the Holy Spirit. 
And so over, over this, over this um, year, over this series, what we want to do, we want to look at the person of the Holy Spirit, what, what kinds of things he does. We also want to focus in on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and literally spend a week on each gift that's mentioned in the Bible. Really unpack it. What does it mean? What is it? What is it? What is it? What, how can we, you know, what does it look like to manifest that gift? Okay? We want to look at the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Gifts and fruit are different. Gifts are just things God gives you. Supernatural enabling, supernatural talent to be able to do extraordinary things you couldn't do before just by the Holy Spirit. We want to look at those. Fruit is what grows in you over time through the work of the Holy Spirit in terms of more, more about your character, your, 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 what kind of person you're becoming. The work of the Holy Spirit. We want to spend a week on each of the fruit that are mentioned. In the Bible, so we're not going to rush through. We're going to take it at a good pace. And I want to just give an assurance uh, about something as well on this front, which is that sometimes people could, you might think, well, you know, the Bible says that it's the Father's will that the Son has the supremacy in all things. If we spend a whole year on the Holy Spirit, how are we going to make sure Jesus gets the supremacy? Let me tell you this: when you really understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the person, the work of the Holy Spirit, it, you, it, it tethers you more and more and more to Jesus and to the gospel. If it doesn't, then you've gone off on, you've gone on, off on a funny road. But if you're doing it right, it just, because, you know, the Bible is clear that the, the, the only reason the Holy Spirit can be poured out in such abundance on all people today is because of the work of Jesus. Remember that moment at, when Jesus went to the at the feast, and he said, whoever believes in me, out, out of their belly will flow rivers of living water. This extraordinary promise. Whoever thirsts, come to me. And whoever believes in me, out of their belly will flow rivers of living water. Wow, what a promise. And then John comments, he says, of this, Jesus was referring to the Holy Spirit who had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. You see, the outpouring of the Spirit, how it works is this, is that Jesus coming, Christmas, which we've all just enjoyed, the advent, the incarnation, Christ, Christ, the eternal son taking on flesh, being a full, full human, but the eternal son. So you've got one person, but two natures, divine and human, in one person. Jesus willingly came, entered into, the only person to have chosen to be born, entered into our world willingly. And, and, and in, at a time, in a moment in time as well, where a nation is under the iron rule of, of Rome and all of the oppression and injustice, willingly chose to come lived 33 approximately years, and over that time, did not sin. Right? So by the power of the Holy Spirit, resisted every temptation to sin. Because if he had sinned once, the crucifixion wouldn't have counted. Right? So imagine that sort of pressure. He chose that. That's why we worship him. I was thinking earlier, every news item you read, if you, can, you, can, you can bring it back to... One of two things that are really the same thing. The happy news, when you really focus on it, is about someone amazing. And the sad news is about someone or some people that are terrible. Right? Because humans shape the world. Why? Because humans are made in the image of God. Right? And so, and so we rejoice and we delight in when someone does something amazing. Because something in us goes, yes, that's what we're made for. And when people do terrible things, something in you, it's not just a thing, you go, what have you become? Because right? you know, no, that's not what it is. Listen, 
All of those, there's longings there that are wrapped up. All those longings that are wrapped up in those emotions when we read the news are come to their fulfillment in Christ. He is the ultimate image of God. Right? And he comes and he does it. He's fully human. He faces all temptations that we do and doesn't sin. All the way through to that moment where he's so stressed, he's sweating blood. He's so stressed about what he's about to face. He's starting to drink the cup of the father's wrath. He's like, oh my goodness. Starting actually, he knew it was coming. He predicted it. He came to do it. But now he's starting to taste it. He's going, oh no. And in his, in his humanity, he wants to run a mile. But he says, but not my will. Yours be done. Totally submits to the father's will. Right through to that. I don't know how I look at that and I go, how many times would have I said, yes, Lord, your will, not mine. You know, and then the moment comes. You think, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I blew it. He did it. And he did it for us. Right? So he's lived this perfect life. And as a result, he's the only righteous person to have ever lived. And then he becomes sin on the cross. You think, well, why are you doing that? Love. Love. And so, and then, so what? So he dies, and then the resurrection is this proclamation, this declaration. He was all that he said he was. Right? It's a trumpet blast. He is the Son of God. It's it's declared with power. He is. He's done it. Look, why? Because the 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 final enemy, that the arch enemy, that thing which came in with sin, death could not hold him. Death got hold of him, and then death goes. There's nothing on him. Because death needs sin to be able to hold people in. But he's, he's full of sin on the cross. But when it comes to it, none of it's his. It's all ours. So death goes, there's nothing to hold on to. So he rises from the dead in glory. Appears over 40 days to his disciples. And then ascends into heaven where he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. And it says in the book of Acts that when he ascended into heaven, the Father gave him the Holy Spirit. Almost as a reward for his victory. Not in, obviously, they were in eternal fellowship forever, but as, a, as the gift of the Holy Spirit that he then pours out on his people. So then, Pentecost, where the Spirit's poured out, they're speaking in tongues, uh, other languages, the tongues of fire, and the, the, the supernatural rushing wind, all that. Pentecost, that is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That happens because that happened. It's the, it's the spoils of Christ's victory. Yeah, so us enjoying the fullness of life in the Spirit should always point us back to Jesus and his amazing work and say, look at you. Aren't you amazing? I gladly bow the knee. It's all about you. Because the whole time what the Spirit is doing in our hearts is glorifying Jesus. So you haven't got to worry. It's not going to take us anywhere weird. But hopefully we're going to have some wonderful times in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen?